Hello, and welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook. If this is your first time listening to BTS Podcast, the BTS stands for Behind the Scenes. So that means I talk to people about what they do, how they do it, how they do their job, and also maintain everything else going on in life, and major lessons and things of that nature. This episode is with Crystal Lowe. Crystal is terrific. You may be familiar with her work. She is known for Scream Queen roles, which I didn't really, I guess it didn't really register with me. I was doing research for this episode and someone called that out on Twitter and I was like, oh yes, that is what she is known for. So I know Crystal because she teaches at Graham Shield Studios where I take acting classes and she is terrific. I really love her approach. She's really interesting. I have a lot of respect for her work ethic and her sense of morality and just her vulnerability with students. I really, really appreciate it. You should definitely look her up on Twitter, Instagram, etc. You may have seen her in Final Destination 3, Hot Tub Time Machine, amongst many other films and TV shows. I really loved getting to ask her a bunch of questions that I wouldn't normally get to ask because she's my teacher. If you like this episode, which I hope you do, please remember to subscribe, rate, review. It helps a ton. Find BTS Podcast across social media platforms. There's also a Facebook group for BTS Podcast guests and listeners where you can submit questions, submit guest ideas, topics, let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, etc. Other ways you can support this podcast include becoming a monthly supporter. I would greatly appreciate it. Shout out to Camillo, our one and only supporter right now. I greatly appreciate his support. You can go to anchor.fm slash BTS podcast if you would like to make a one-time or ongoing contribution. It would be wildly helpful. If you want to sponsor this podcast, let me know. Accepting sponsorships right now. Chris and I recorded this back in February, which was, or maybe it was March. Yes, it was March, which um, if you are listening to this much in the future, March 2020, was in the thick of the coronavirus pandemic and um, maybe not the thick of it because now we're in July and for places like California we are still getting record high numbers so uh, we're not doing a great job but for context for our conversation that's why you'll hear us mention like the shutdown and things like that other ways you can support this podcast are someday when we can travel again Or if you have to travel in the near future, I highly recommend using Hotel Tonight. You can use LCOOK61 to save on your first booking. I'm a huge fan. Their loyalty program is terrific and their hotel options are awesome. And I've just been using it for years, both domestically and internationally, and it has saved me a ton of money and they have a really great in-app concierge. Additionally, someday when it is safe, you may want to get a massage at home or I don't know, wherever you're at, a friend's house, whatever it may be. I love Soothe. Soothe brings massages to you wherever you're at, whether that is at home, at a friend's house. I think they also have an office option, which is super cool, but who's going to an office anytime soon? Anyhow, if you use LZ, LRZ, you can save on your first Soothe booking. I'm a big fan and I highly recommend it. Anyways, let's get to the conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome to BTS Podcast, and I am super excited to have on Crystal Lowe today. Crystal is an actress and a producer and a writer and so many other things. She is also my acting teacher. 
And I asked her to be on because I think she's a really interesting and awesome person. And she does so many different things while also raising a child and being a good person and following <laughs> politics. And that's just a lot. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. And that introduction is great. Being a good person is my favorite. I love that that's part of the list. Thank you. <laughs> It is a uh, part of the criteria is that I just, even if I don't know someone, I need to at least feel like they're a good person. Like I need to get good person vibes from them before I invite them on. So let's talk about, I want to talk a little bit about first your career for people who may not like know you right off the top of their heads, because definitely at first I was like, oh yeah, like you started mentioning things that I'd heard of and then I went down and you've been in so many things that I've seen and then a bunch of things that I haven't seen, but that I've heard of. And so I would love to talk about sort of like the start of your career because you're from Canada and you came here to continue acting because you'd been acting there. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you initially coming over to the U.S.? Well, I've been going back and forth between Canada and the U.S. for years, you know, just feeling my way through. Los Angeles is such a different um, town than Vancouver is. And even with the business, it's, it's different. Um, but I started out very young. I started when I was, I actually started when I was like five, but my mom pulled me out because she was not happy with the way the other parents were, um, so (laughs) competitive. So she said, when I, if I really seriously wanted to go back when I could drive myself, then I, you know, she would let me. Um, and I did, I was, I was waiting and I was begging. So I basically went back when I was like 15, 16, uh, I got really lucky. I signed with one of the top agents in Canada and uh, started working right away. Um, I was also modeling at the time. And at that time in my life, uh, I really didn't understand my self-worth. So I, I put so much value in how I looked. Um, and that was the only way I felt like I had any real control in my life. So I, <laughs> I mean, I was like giving up roles so that I could you know, go be Miss Hawaiian Tropic, which really did not pay off in the end. Let me tell you, heard lots of, lots of big stuff. And I was like, well, I want to be Miss Hawaiian Tropic and I have to go to, my, I can't do that. He would just roll his eyes, but she was right. You know, so that kind of, eventually I, I wanted to get really serious about acting, and but I had to break the stereotype that I created for myself, which was that that's all I did was, you know, I was being model and, you know, hot girl number 52 and whatever. <laughs> so I really had to fight my way back and prove that I could do the work. And that took a lot of time and studying. Yeah, I'm sure. And that really shows up in your teaching, like the way that you're able to kind of pull apart where it is people are coming from. And I think especially I've noticed, and maybe it's just because I pay more attention and there's more girls in the class, but with the women in the class, you're really good at identifying the times that we're self-conscious or not opening up and really holding back because I think that's common with everybody but especially when you're taught from a young age that your value is largely in how you look you approach life very differently yeah you know I really want to get like when I talk to female actresses especially young women and how how we perceive ourselves and the boxes that we're put into and and all of us are men are too a lot. And and I feel for a lot of the men out there too, because they're forced to be this weird macho version of themselves, or they're supposed to be something that, you know, they have, which is all just made up. Um, but it's really important for me to let the women around me know that they're more than just one thing. 
because uh, I don't think I believed I was more than one thing for a really long time. I thought, well, that's the only way I could either get attention or that I could be seen. Now, that being said, there was nothing wrong with that. You know, your sexuality, if, if you embrace it, great. I, I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, and I don't think people should shy away from it. I just don't want anybody to feel like that's the only thing they have to offer, you know, or if they feel like they're, you know, well, I'm, I'm the awkward one. Everybody thinks I'm awkward. Everyone thinks I'm weird. You're not, you could be sexy too and put on a pair of stilettos and rock those clear heels. Just do it. You know, I really want us to explore being as well-rounded as we can and take away the judgments that other people have put on us, um, and embrace who we are. And that might change year to year. You know, I'm not who I was even last year. It's it's taking me, it takes me a long time to keep evolving. And so I want people to do that when they're in my class. Definitely. And it, I thought of something when you were talking about encouraging people to embrace their sexuality, especially for women. Mm. And I think there's a big difference between embracing your sexuality and like clinging on to it. Like this is all I have. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's a very different type of thing. A lot of the times the stuff that we're worried about that people may think or that they do think, and I'm putting that in air quotes, it's stuff that it's like, yeah, that's just what happens when you open yourself up to a larger audience is that there will always be people that don't like you. Like Seinfeld ran for so many seasons and is so successful. And there's still people that don't like Seinfeld. Yeah. I used to get criticized all the time. Oh my God. I've been called everything. You know, uh, I remember I used to go and read when IMDb used to let you have comments, I would go and read some of them <laughs> and I would get like, Oh God, she's such a butterface. How does she, even, you know, Oh, people would say like the worst stuff. And my husband would get so mad and like, you know, want to go and like fight each person. And I was like, and I remember looking at him and saying, they're talking about me. And he was like, what do you mean? And I said, they just took 15 minutes out of their day to sit down at a computer and write about me. I don't know those people. I have no idea who they are. If I saw them on the street, I wouldn't blink an eye. I would just keep walking. But they took time out of their day to say, if it's negative or positive, they still took time out of their day and they're still talking. So that's on them. Like, I'm not great. If you want to waste your energy on that, then that's fine. But you're still talking about me. I'm not talking about you. Uh, So I never took it as a negative. I always took it as a positive. I was like, well, there's one more person who's, you know, seen me in something. Good for me. (laughs) Definitely. So you'd mentioned um, just input from uh, representation and stuff when you were sort of uh, dipping between different priorities. When you, like, because you've been doing this for a while, Mm -hmm. I imagine that you have navigated several managers and agents, et cetera. What are things that you've learned in that? I haven't. I've been with the same agent in Canada for 25 years. That's amazing. And I've been with my manager for over 10, probably about 14 years in LA. Uh, And with my American agent is new. My American agent is newer, less than a year, but I am very loyal, sometimes to a fault. That being said, my Canadian agent and I have a very strong relationship. He drives me insane. He'll say whatever he wants to me. I say whatever I want to him. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Uh, But we... (laughs) we've had a long history, you know, and at the end of the day, he's still doing a lot of work for me. So, you know, uh, and he did something that was very unique to agents. And when I tell people this, they're shocked. So a couple things, when I was bikini modeling, I was surrounded with people that, you know, had had a lot of plastic surgery and I, I really wanted to, to do that to, to, you know, fit into them to what everybody looked like in the nineties. That's why I have no eyebrows either. Ugh. uh, <laughs> I wish that trend hadn't happened. Um, 
And he actually phoned me and said, don't you dare do anything. He said, I want you to look up all the top A-list actresses that you want to be like and, and tell me if they've, you know, uh, augmented in certain ways. Have they? And I said, oh, no. He goes, then don't because you're going to pigeonhole yourself and I'm not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to change your career the way you want to. So a lot of agents would not have done that. You know, a lot of agents would have seen a way to make money off of what I was doing and just continue to that until it was done. But he didn't. Uh, the other thing is, is that I went to him. And I said, look, I remember sitting on the steps of uh, my agency and just like crying after I did an audition for Fast and the Furious, actually. But it wasn't before. That was before it was cool again. It was like number three. And though that one wasn't as cool. Oh, okay. Um, and I was sobbing because I just, I didn't want to audition for Hot Girl number 25 anymore. I just, I wanted to be taken seriously as an actress. And um, this amazing uh, actor named Ian Tracy, if you look him up, he's in everything. He's from Vancouver. Sat with me and said, what's wrong? <laughs> I was like, I just want to be a real actress. He said, then do it. Go change it. Go study. Get better and show them what you can do. Mm -hmm. And then I phoned time in and I said, look, I, I really want to show them I can, I can do the work. And, and he fought really hard to get people to change their perception of me. And, and they did. Um, and they let me in. And, and I was not great, you know, I, I was sucking it a lot, but they, they could see that I was really trying. I was tr desperately trying to show them I could do real work. And then I started booking, you know, the quirky girl or the science awkward. I mean, Rita, I play is like the quirkiest, you know, introvert. She's the opposite of, you know, overtly sexy. Mm -hmm. So we have a good relationship because he really has stuck by me through all the transformations. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Now finding an agent here is really tough. You know, it's not easy to find somebody in LA. They don't, you know, from what I've seen, nobody wants to do the de developmental part, which is finding new people. And because that's a lot of work, mm -hmm. you are calling casting and begging them, pleading with them, fighting with, you know, a lot of people just to get your clients seen. Um, and at that point in their stage in their career, a lot of developmental people, the people are still in development aren't maybe hitting the mark every time they walk in the room. Yeah. You know, they're not hitting the mark because they're still learning and they're still figuring it out. Um, so then, then they, the agent has to fight even harder because maybe this time you walked in and you, you couldn't nail it. And that's, that's part of the growth as an actor is the more you audition, the more comfortable you are, the better you get at it. That's just part of it. Uh, which is why people should be taking classes all the time, even if you're not auditioning, because then when you do audition, you've already been in classes every week. You've been doing this, you know, it's a muscle. Um, and that sets you ahead of the rest when you do get in the room. Yeah. But I find it difficult for them here. Like the agents, it's hard for them. Um, managers sometimes a little bit are a little more open to that, but they can't negotiate your deals. So it's complicated. It, it's complicated. Well, and having grown up here, I've seen the sort of supply and demand mm -hmm. because there's so many people here that say they want to act and say that they're serious about it. And they're really not. They just mm -hmm. like the idea of potentially making money quickly or mm -hmm. the power or fame or whatever it is that they find appealing about acting. But it's not actually being good at acting that they care about. It's yeah. all of the perceived perks. And so I imagine it's easy if you are an agent who even with good intentions like wants to develop talent. I just can't imagine what it's like to deal with people who are often really flaky and insecure and then like perhaps aren't as dedicated as they've let on. Because when you're an agent for somebody, like 
you only get paid if they get paid. Yeah. So if they're not doing well, you have nothing. Yeah. I have to say out of all of the jobs in the industry, I would never want to be an agent. <laughs> I respect yeah. them so much, but it's not what I'd want to do because you know, you'd have to be dealing with actors all the time. Oh my God. <laughs> that would be a nightmare. Uh, you know, then they blame you for everything. You know, because I think you're the key and you're really just a person trying to do your job, which is to get them in and, and then you're pleading and fighting. And my agent used to say that too, you know, for all the heartbreak that you go through with losing jobs, I have to go through that with each of my clients, with all of them when they lose mm. jobs. So it's hard. The wins are awesome, but the, you know, the lows are, they're tough. Yeah, definitely. And it is a really weird career. Mm. Like I've talked to a lot of friends about this, whether they're actors or, I mean, models somewhat, but largely actors and comedians and any artist that's like sort of a solo artist and not with a band, where your career is also literally just about you. And that's almost like a very unnatural mm -hmm. thing that you have to view yourself as a business and like a money-making vessel. And so then when you're not making money, it feels like a very personal negative reflection on your value as a human. Mm -hmm. Yes. How have you learned to separate those to like deal with it in a more constructive way? Well, I've always had small businesses all my life. I had a modeling agency that I owned and ran. I had a burlesque oh gosh, troupe. I, I used to produce it. burlesque shows and then I produced like yeah, I've had a really interesting life. <laughs> um, I owned a restaurant for three years. So I've always, always had small businesses. The restaurant really helped me because I would say to myself, look, if I had the restaurant again, would I invest in signs? Would I uh, invest in making sure this is the cleanest restaurant, the menu was the best, that the food and the ingredients were, you know, top notch? Would I, would I invest in my entertainment? What am I, you know, how am I branding my restaurant? What am I going after? Um, I don't feel bad about doing that. So why do I feel bad about it when it's me? Like, you know, yeah, it's still a business, you know, so you have to understand the business. You have to at least educate yourself in it. And I think at the very least, if you can educate yourself in it, then when things don't go the way you want them to go it, all the time, you get it. You understand producing was the best thing I'd ever done. It really opened my eyes to seeing that there was a much larger picture than just me because I really believed it was just me for a while. <laughs> I was like, oh, the talent is here. Amazing. <laughs> and then I produced and was like, what? I lived in a bubble, a ridiculous bubble. Which I think is true for a lot of people who are talent mm -hmm. when they are used to being talent, especially because you started so young. I think anything that you start young and then stay with, whether it's like people who have been in a relationship since high school or you start acting really young and that's what you've spent most of your life doing is that that part of your life tends to not necessarily like mature as much as if you'd been on the outside mm -hmm. just because you're so in it. Like I see people who've been together since they were like 15 or 16 and I'm so impressed by anyone who isn't in the same arguing ruts that they've had since they were teenagers mm -hmm. because that's a really hard thing to grow out of with someone. And similarly, when you're talent, that's a really hard thing to like pull away and have a 10,000 foot view. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is like the thing I learned when I was producing is you want to keep your talent in a bubble. As a producer, I need to ensure that you're just able to do what you need to do. And if you're distracted by anything else, you might not be able to do that. <laughs> what made me sad about that was that I thought, oh, sometimes producers will do so much so that the talent can perform, you know, anything so that the talent can perform. And they don't really care about 
the person. And that goes with anything sports. Mm. You know, you watch Moneyball, you're like, ah, if anybody's seen that film. And that helps you also realize I am also a business and I bring value to this because when there isn't a need for you anymore, they will find somebody else, depending on who you're working with. You know, some, some producers are not that way. They're amazing and wonderful. And it's a collaborative experience, you know, but there's a lot of, I need you to dance. So I'm going to make you feel as good as you need to feel. And I'm, and they don't stop production to let that person go and actually heal. They just continue and, and make it work because they have money invested. And I think when I saw that, I was like, oh, that makes me <laughs> like, that was hard on my heart to see that. And at the same token, because I've had this discussion with, you know, directors and producers are like, well, it's not our job, you know, to make sure that, that person is okay. Yeah. So, but for me, it's like, well, you, you shouldn't exploit it either <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. just because you need to get something done. So that was a, a, an interesting lesson that I definitely learned when I was producing. But I also learned when I'm on set to remember there, that it, it took a lot to get where we are now. It took hundreds of people years to put all these things together and get here. I am not the only person on this planet. Yeah. I'm just one piece of this puzzle. I'm not the whole puzzle. Right. Definitely. That is something that when you've seen what goes into even like something as small as a short or a commercial where it is so much work from so many people putting their heart into it. And for something like a short, it's like somebody's baby. Like a commercial is very different. Like I certainly, any of the commercials I've worked on, on like the end of being working at ad agencies, like I was excited about them, but my heart and soul wasn't in it. It wasn't like, this is me and like representative of what's going on inside of my soul. <laughs> but then anyone I know who's made a short, it's definitely a very vulnerable thing. Yeah. And you have, you've produced a short or did you write mm-hmm. a short? Remind me. Uh, I've produced two shorts and I've directed two shorts. I just wrote one that I will direct eventually once I get financing and funding. It's still going through some rewrites right now, but uh, I've directed and produced And so what was that process like for you with those? The producing was great because that, because I'd already run a restaurant and I'd packaged all that stuff to get funding for it. uh, The producing felt very comfortable. It fit like a glove. Putting pieces together and organizing people and getting everything, getting things done is like just part of who I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, I get this weird high when I come under budget. It's a really weird thing. I'm like, I can do this for this budget. Like yeah, a coupon yeah, lady. I'm kill that. I'm gonna, you know, yeah, I am. I get like a, you know, it's weird. I get so excited and stoked that like I did something awesome for like the price I was supposed to do it for. It's weird. Um, and then uh, the directing, directing was the first one I did. It was the most terrifying experience of my life. I remember uh, having a panic attack and like lying on my kitchen floor and my. DOP calling me and saying, you know, uh, do you have a shot list? And I was like, oh yeah, I totally have a shot list. And I was like, I don't know what a shot list is. Oh my God. And then he goes, well, when are you going to send it to me? I was like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. And then I freaked out, panicked and lied on my kitchen floor and was like, oh my God, this is it. They're going to know I'm a fraud. And I kind of was. And I then got up, walked to the computer. I Googled shot list. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I'm going to Google this and I'm going to figure this out. And I, and I did. And, and it was the same thing with writing a business plan in my restaurant. I mean, I have a high school education. I never went to any post-secondary. 
you know, everything I've done self-taught and uh, I gold business plan and I taught myself how to write a business plan. I got the funding for my restaurant. I taught myself, you know, shots and how to write a shot list from Googling it and just researching it myself and just doing it. Uh, I have a great mom who is amazing, who has always said, even in the worst of my times where I'm like, she goes, she always just goes, you know, you can do this. Just go do it. Uh, and she's right. You know, as soon as I hear that, I'm like, you're right. I can do this. Go do it. Stop complaining. Um, and then the second time I directed was totally different. Obviously it was very, it was much more, I was playing around with the second one. I really was starting to try to understand color. How do I tell story with color? Um, how do I tell story with shape? How can I, um, influence narrative without people mm -hmm. under knowing using different, you know, shots and how I shoot it. It was just such a great experience. It was really, for me, was amazing. Um, and working with actors for me, obviously is like the, for me, that's the, the easiest thing. Cause that's what I do already. Yeah. And we all speak the same language. Uh, for me, the most difficult part is, is still learning about the camera. And the camera moves and understanding how to use the camera and what lenses to use, all that stuff. It's still, and every night I try to look up a different lens and I try to understand it. And some nights I don't know what the hell those people are talking about, but eventually I know it'll sink in. <laughs> it'll piece together. I've, like, I've been a photographer since like late high school, early college. And still to this day, when somebody asks me like spec questions about a lens, even if I own the lens, I'm like, I don't know. Like <laughs> Google that kind of thing. Don't ask yeah. me. Look yeah. at the user manual. Right. But yeah, there, was, there was something that you were saying that I really liked about, and obviously your mom's advice of just sort of like going out and doing it, I'm sure helps. But there's something that I kind of put together yesterday when I was listening to an interview with Tracy Ellis Ross where she was talking about doing this really daunting task of doing her first TED Talk. And people were like, oh, well, you do stuff like this all the time. It must be really easy. And what she realized in that moment, and I think similarly, this is probably something that you've gotten very comfortable with too, is that she realized that what she was used to wasn't preparing to give a very personal TED Talk. But what she was used to is as a performer is knowing something was scary, being afraid, and then still doing it and not backing down. And I love that. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So it makes a lot of sense to me that you have felt comfortable pursuing things that a lot of people would perceive are scary and risky because you're used mm -hmm. to taking that risk in the most vulnerable mm -hmm. personal way by acting and going to auditions and putting mm -hmm. yourself out there to like look like a fool sometimes and sometimes nail it. And that's just sort of the nature of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think bombing is actually the best. I mean, when I started taking these improv classes, and I'm still taking improv classes, the first time, like I really was bombing, I was like, "Oh my god, this is this is bad." And I've been doing this, you know, professionally for 25 years, not improv, but I've been acting for 25 years, and I can't figure this out. Yeah, um, totally. But at the end of, uh, you know, we put on a show at the end of one of the classes that I took. At the end of it, the thing that stuck out the most was, "Well, I didn't die." You know, I'm still here. I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. I might have bombed. It wasn't that great, but it really, that's all that happened. Like, so who cares? I mean, you know, after, after you kind of throw yourself off and you're like, yeah, I broke a bone, but I didn't, I didn't flatten, you know, then get up and do it again. And even with improv, even now, I, I don't really love improv and I know the reason I don't like it. I don't like it because I'm not good at it. 
Yeah. And it's the same with writing. Sometimes I'm like, I don't like this. I don't like it. I'm like, yeah, I don't like it because I don't know how to do it yet. You know, that's why I don't like it because I can't walk in a room and be like, look how good I am at this, you know? So, but those are the things I want to do the most because I'm not good at them. I mean, you know, acting is an ever evolving thing and I still will take classes till forever, film and television acting, any kind of acting. Um, but this in particular, I'm, I don't know this world. So I should jump in head first, suck, but embrace the sucking. Um, and embrace mm -hmm. the rejection. Uh, being rejected as a writer, which happened this year, uh, that one hurt. That was like, that was hardcore pain. Uh, it's like when I first, you know, would audition and I wouldn't book it. That was like, took me a week to like, you know, stop crying basically. Um, because it was something I wanted so badly. And, and a medium that I'm not comfortable in. You know, the thing with acting now after this much time is if I don't book something, well, it wasn't right for me. It doesn't mean I'm not good at the job. I know I'm good at my craft. So if it wasn't right for me, it's not right for me, you know, or maybe I could have gone deeper, but I didn't. But at the end of the day, I don't feel bad about what I'm doing, but with like writing and directing, cause those are new mediums for me. I still don't have that confidence yet built up. Um, so those ones hit a lot harder, but again, I stood up from it. Um, and I remember my mom again saying, so what are you going to do? You're going to quit? Yeah. And I was like, well, no. She goes, so then you're not going to quit. Like, you know, that, she goes, honey, that's our, that's our superpower. Don't you know, our whole, all the women in our family, we just get back up. That's a power that nobody can take away from you is the power to just get back up. And that everybody has that in themselves. It's your decision how long you need to, or want to stay down when you get those hits. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's interesting because there are certainly things that over time I have quit, but I've realized that there were certain things that I like put on the back burner because I just maybe wasn't emotionally ready to mm -hmm. deal with the pain of learning because it is a painful process. Yes, it is. And in the past couple of years, I've really challenged myself to have fun while learning because I realized that like with photography, I got way better at it quicker because it was not something I put on a pedestal. And so with stuff that I put on a pedestal, I get so in my head about it and so stressed about it. Right. Like with acting, I put it on a pedestal, yeah. pedestal for so long. And then what actually caused me to finally sign up for classes was seeing some friends that I had who I knew were like no better on camera than I was start to book stuff and get their own shows and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this is making it way more normal feeling because you're not crazy hot. <laughs> you're not super witty and charismatic. Like you're not an amazing actor. Like you've just stuck with it and you've taken classes and you've taken the time to like get better and understand what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And why would I think that I could just jump in and do it without going through that and then also seeing the fact that like I paid to go to college even though I didn't necessarily believe that college would really do much for me mm -hmm. outside of let me get internships and like have a decent foundation for like an understanding of some stuff like why was I resistant to taking acting classes that would 100% be helpful so that was like definitely the extra push of like kind of reframing it for me and going like oh, this is actually something I really want to do. Because the stuff that I've quit doing were things that I was like, oh, I just liked the idea of being good at this, but I don't actually like it. Right. So I can just enjoy the fact other people are good at it. I don't need to right. also be good at this other thing. 
Yeah. I don't actually enjoy it. I just, you know, wanted to try, but fear is what it's the fear that, that stops everything. Mm -hmm. It's the fear of not being good at something right away, or it's a fear of not being perfect. That has stopped me in my tracks so many times with writing that has killed me because I, I don't want to be bad. I know what good writing looks like. So I should just therefore be good. What? I have barely written, you know, I'm just teaching myself how to do that. Now you can't get better until you do it over and over and over and over again and, and suck for a while. That's normal. Yeah. And I do think, you know, I just said this in an interview, I actually just finished today, but I certainly was never the prettiest girl when I was doing those modeling things. And I was never the funniest when I was acting. I was never the best actor. I was never any of those things. But the one thing I did have was drive. And that supersedes everything because you can learn everything. You really can. You know, you can get better. Yeah. I mean, you might not be the best sculptor. Or I might not be a great sculptor, but I could learn to be a better sculptor if I kept trying. That was like an aha moment for me, I think, in my 20s because I hate cooking. I hate cooking so much. I used to, sorry. I don't hate cooking now. But I was like, I'm not going to cook. I'll never cook. Blah, blah, blah. And then I started just following recipes and trying. I was like, oh, I can do this. Oh, I could just just try, you know? And I'm like, well, if I can do that, then, and I don't even like that, then I can do the stuff that I like. Yeah. If I really dedicate, I can get better at, really much better at. Yeah. And do you think that not liking cooking has to do because it's like a stereotypical like woman task? I do. Yeah. I grew up in a house filled with... Um, the, the women in my family were, were always the kind of the breadwinners, were the alphas, were providers, all of, almost, almost all of the women in my family. They're, you know, all have PhDs. All, my grandmother was a, taught um, uh, kids with special needs. And then she went and got her, you know, became a psychologist in her 60s. Like she, my, my, they were all, all these women were, and my mom's a professor with tenure. My aunt's a professor with tenure. All of them have been, you know, brilliant women. So I had this idea in my head that I was like, I'm not going to cook. No one's telling me how to do that, you know, and that was hard for my husband and I, we had to really learn, you know, those languages of love that, that book that people talk about because he's Eastern European and he grew up in a house where his mom was a primarily a, well, she was, she was a stay home mom of 10 kids. Wow. And so of course she cooked and cleaned and did everything for them. Uh, and also it's just a different way of of growing up and, you know, his father would work and that was how they were raised. So it was very, his way of, of receiving love is through things like somebody cooking and taking care of them and, um, showing love that way. Mm -hmm. And my way was of somebody encouraging and saying you could do anything. And you know, that was how I saw it. So that was a very, that was something we really had to figure out. And once I realized that that's how he received loved, then I was like, uh, it, it made cooking less about me saying, you know, you can't put me in a box and more about me saying, Oh, he doesn't, he just thinks I don't care about him. <laughs> no, I do care about you. Oh, that's how you need to receive love. Okay. Well then yeah, I'll do that. Definitely. And my mom never cooked at all. Oh, really? No, no. Um, my, my Chinese dad did was a much better cook. My mom did not. I mean, when she tried, we, we would eat it, but I had a lot of Mr. Noodles and Crafton. Uh, <laughs> but my stepdad who had raised me, um, he can cook. So he always was the cook in our family, you know, and my mom was not, so there is a small difference, you know, some things your parents don't do, you want to do for your children. So it's really important for me to bake my kid's birthday cake every year. I don't know why I'm not a great baker, but I just want to do that. I want to bake it. And so I let her pick like, do you want a unicorn? What do you want this year? And I'll, and I will figure it out and I will make it and I could just buy it but I don't want to buy it. I want to make it because that's something that's that, awesome. you know, my mom, God bless her. She always bought me good cakes, but she couldn't make me a cake. 
that is one thing that my mom definitely did really well was because her rule was like either you could get a birthday gift or you could have a birthday party but you would not get both oh yeah and I will never forget for like my I think it was my sixth birthday I asked her for a barbie cake and I like she also she definitely probably would have made them anyways but we for sure couldn't afford for her to like buy a cake right especially not a barbie cake Mm -hmm. and so what she did was she stayed up all night and made like probably a five or six layer cake that was like a big circle and then smaller and smaller and smaller and then put the barbie in the middle of it and then decorated all of the cake like a Mm -hmm. dress and i to this day to this day that and the Halloween that she bought a used wedding dress and then like tailored it to be the uh, princess, the swan princess dress for me for Halloween were like the two most amazing things she's ever done for me. Yeah. I made that. I made the the Barbie cake for me and my daughter, um, but she wanted Supergirl, So I made, I made one of those for her. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. So, so much more advanced than me being like, like wanting a barbie cake i'm like that's the appropriate thing for a kid to want is i think honestly my birthday always changes who i am a little Mm -hmm. bit and i'll be like oh i want to do something super girly Mm -hmm. because for sure whenever when i was six or seven i was like obsessed with wwe wrestling (laughs) so like i don't know why it was that i wanted a barbie cake i think it's because i knew that's what like you have for a birthday right but like in my regular life, I was obsessed with Hot Wheels and like watching dudes hit each other with like folding chairs. Like that was my well, jam. Well, maybe that, hey, that's your masculine and feminine or whatever they say. You know, you can like, that's the thing too. You can like Barbie and you can like WWE at the same time. Yeah. It's, those are two True. things you can like together. I also love WWE, but I, I liked princess dresses. So, you know, why can't I like both of those things? And my daughter is like the biggest girly girl you could possibly imagine it is insane really she dresses up constantly in all her princess dresses and presents things to me and talk and goes oh, hello like a princess everywhere i don't know where she got that from i don't act I, i'm not that way so i don't think but yeah that's the thing so what are you gonna do i'm just following for that yeah. yeah to each their own so, um, actually, so now that you brought up your husband, mm-hmm. I would love to hear how was dating for you uh, as an actress in LA? Like, what was that like for you pre getting with him? Well, we've been together since I was 22. So, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. We've been together for 17 years. Oh, my God. Now you can do the math. That's, That's terrible. Uh, <laughs> we've been together for a long time and we've been married for 10. So, you know. Um, I, I always joked that he robbed me of my um, scandalous years. Uh, <laughs> and he said, yes, I did. Because I knew you would go to them and I just took them away from you. Um, but yeah, we've been together for so long. I don't know about dating. And actually now I watch people date and I'm like, I don't know what I would do. I, have n- I missed out on all of the technology. I have no idea what it would be like to date now. Um, I actually was working on a script with a friend of mine because she's been divorced for a while now, but we were talking about that, like the transition, because she was with her husband for 17 years of never having been in this new dating world. It's very different, you know, meeting people on- It is really weird. Yeah, on apps. I don't even know what I would do. Well, 
I think you do, but uh, it, would, it would be really hard for me. Well, I, I, I do, but I don't know if I would, I don't, I'm so used to meeting people like that. The only way I met people was from meeting them. Yeah. Which is like a normal way. Well, he was my massage therapist. It wasn't really that normal. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. It's a great story. I really wanted to date him. And eventually he said, I cannot treat you anymore. If I'm going to date you, it's against our like, you know, rules and regulations. And I was like, well then F this, I'm not coming to you again. Let's start dating. So, uh, and we did and the rest is history, but yeah, that's how I met him. I asked for a hot massage therapist and then he came out and I was like, Oh no, I didn't think you were serious. I had no makeup on. I was mortified. I was joking when I said that. Uh, the rest is history. <laughs> I would absolutely die. I use an app called Soothe to get massages. And like sometimes, and I, I think twice when no woman was available, I booked with a man. And luckily, they've never been attractive. But even sometimes with the women, sometimes they've been attractive. And I've been like, oh my gosh, hopefully my back's not broken out today. Like, how does my, am I well moisturized? Like, I hope I don't have dry elbows. <laughs> Do I look okay? I better be tense. Yeah. 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 Do I look okay? Yeah. It was that, that was a weird moment because I had had a, not a nice, a guy who I dated before him was not very nice. Mm. Um, and who had cheated on me. And so I was really sad when I went to the salon, uh, and I was talking to the hairstylist and she said, you know, you should get a massage. And I remember going in there thinking, God, I have like a zit on my head. And I was like, man, who cares? I'm going to my hair. (laughs) Who cares? I'm going to like a female hairdresser. I'm not putting any makeup. So I, and I love massages. So I said, yeah, you know what? Actually, I would love to go just get a massage and feel better. And that was when I joked with her. He got a hot massage therapist for me. And then he walked out and I was like, oh my God. Oh Lord. Oh Lord. <laughs> and so of course I had to come back the next week, you know, in full hair and makeup, like full hair, full makeup, tight jeans, half top. It was the nineties. And so again, Britney Spears was in, you know, like looking ridiculous. I looked ridiculous, but I was young. So what are you going to do? That's incredible. I love that. Yeah, it's, I mean, I was in a long-term relationship when all the dating apps really came out. So when I got out of that relationship, I'd never done it either. And even in that weird, like, three and a half year gap, or I guess maybe more like four-year gap, Yeah, I was like, I think I downloaded them and then I was like, ah, this is weird. Like I just have, and I'm good at meeting people. Like I'm an outgoing person. And if I see someone and I'm attracted to them, I have no problem just walking up and introducing myself. Mm. Like it's, and I was like, this is not for me at yeah. all. Like I don't, it's very, I mean, whoever enjoys it, great for them. But I just, I find it comical sometimes. I do like to download that when I travel in different places because you can find trends about specific cities and different regions by seeing like how people present themselves on there. Like when I was in China, there were a lot of guys that their Tinder profiles were like them and their cat. Like you don't see that here. You don't see a bunch of men ever taking photos with their cat. Amazing. They should. That should be a new thing. Well, then they would have to get cats. Here's me and my cat. That's true. That's step one. But that would be hilarious. Yeah. I'd be much more inclined to talk to someone and their weird cat. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know, you know, I don't know. I have no idea. To be totally honest, if I was not married right now, the last thing on my mind would be dating. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I've always also been a strong believer of like, uh, yeah, I'll find someone. They'll come. Same. I have never, I've never wanted a relationship. Yeah, I do. I love relationships, but but they'll come, you know, as they're supposed to. I have never. Well, that's what I mean. I've never like been on the hunt for one. To push for it. Like I'm like, oh, they're great when they happen. Yeah, they'll just happen when it's supposed to. Although when I am really interested in the guy, 
and that's been many years. Uh, but I, I sometimes I get mean to them, like I'm 12, because I don't want them to know that I like them. So I'm like, I'm going to be really mean to you, and you'll never know. And I'm like, what am I doing? This is weird. I'm being super weird right now. And I, I do know that I'm, too. What's happening? Yeah. I like won't smile at their jokes and all sort of like yeah like like not look their direction when they're talking to me. Like you're funny and handsome and charming. <laughs> That's so funny. Rose. <laughs> but really I'm like <laughs> never want them to know. It's like I'm 12 again, you know. Definitely. <laughs> so with like since you've been in a relationship for so long and yeah. you have a kid mm-hmm. How have you learned to like have boundaries so that you have time for your craft? And like, how have you managed that with your husband? Uh, it's, it's tough. You really have to, um, you have to carve out time for yourself. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. When you have a kid, you know, never mind having kids multiple, it's really hard. But I will designate at least an hour, usually a day, where it's, I'm just working. If it's not a day, then I'll do at least a couple days a week. But that's just working. Set a timer, one hour. I'm not allowed to look at my phone. I put music on and then I just have to get some work done. And sometimes that work is just like paying my bills or going online and doing whatever I was supposed to get done, that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just, have to, you just have to make it work. I mean, that's the one thing you're, you're going to figure out as a parent when you become a parent. And I will say for me in my lifetime so far, being a parent is not, you can't really understand it until you do it. It's one of those things that like, and you know, people will be like, I babysit, I know, I nanny. I'm like, no, because you go home. You know, it's not the same. It's uh, full time, but it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. So it's so it's a weird pull. That's that's what they do, right? They exhaust you, but then you're like, oh, I mean, it's, when she was a baby, she would go to sleep. And then I would just, I would be so happy she was going to sleep. And then I was like, oh, I should wake her up. I miss her. Is she okay? I should cuddle her. It was like this crazy, like, please go to bed, then wake up feeling. Um, but I will, you know, I'll make the time. I just have to make that time for myself, even if it's just an hour or a couple hours a week to make it work and to not feel guilty about it. I think, um, growing up with a working mom was a positive for me. I loved that part of it. I loved, um, that I saw my mom going after what she really wanted. She was a single mom of two kids and she went back to school, um, and then ended up getting her PhD, you know, and I would say short answer is, I don't feel guilty as a parent because you will, (laughs) you feel like you're a bad person uh, for taking any time for yourself, but you need to, because your kids are going to grow up and they're going to watch you. Uh, And for me, I want her to grow up seeing that I do what I love because I want her to grow up doing what she loves. That's really important. That's a lesson for me that I want her to have. Plus I really still want to have my own identity. My own identity is really valuable to me. Because she's going to want to have her own identity one day too. And I don't really want to have nothing to go back to or have to restart again. And sometimes that can happen, especially if you have multiple children, because they just, it's just so time consuming. Truthfully, it's, it's not, that's not a judgment on people that feel that they've gotten lost in it because I can see it. I can see how it would happen. You know, it, a, you feel guilty um, that you're not a good enough parent unless you're there all the time doing everything you're supposed to do that. and you also are just so tired because like you have to create an entire schedule. You have to put everything to organize everything. You have to make sure they're going to all their classes. You have to make sure they're going to all their sports and their games. You you know, that is literally time consuming. Just getting up in the morning is not just me getting up in the morning and showering and then like putting my makeup on. It's me getting up in the morning, fully dressing her, getting her for breakfast, brushing her teeth, 
getting her ready to go, getting all her stuff packed. Who knows what they're doing at school that day? You know, they might have to do all, bring all these extra things, then getting ready, then getting dressed, then taking the dog out. You know, it's a, it's a huge process for me to just walk out the door. So it's, it's easy to lose yourself in that. And I think, um, my only piece of advice would just be to know that you're still valuable and you're still important. And one hour here and there is, is a benefit for your kids, not um, a disadvantage. You need to take time for yourself for something, anything. Definitely. And I love what you said too, about it sort of relaying the value to her of in her future, taking time for herself, mm-hmm. because I think that is something that's really important. Um, yes. I think a lot of us were raised that like, we as women are supposed to be there for everybody else mm-hmm. and then eventually end up in a place where we're like, Oh, what do I like? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I, what is, what am I doing to challenge myself? Like, how am I growing? Yeah. And when your whole life has been around not hurting people's feelings and being nice, it's very easy to then make your whole life around like being good at birthdays and being thoughtful and like being attractive. And then you really, you lose yourself because you don't have a self. Yes. And the same happens with men too. You know, like they get sucked into this idea that they have to be a provider. I feel terrible for male actors a lot because, and this is just my personal observation, but I I always see that the majority of actors, male actors who are pretty successful, the ones that work quite a bit, you know, they may not be uh, George Clooney, but they're working actors um, are always super OCD. And uh, I have a theory behind that because, you know, they're mm. brought up to believe that they have to be the caretakers, that they have to provide, that they have to be the ones that, you know, are the man of the house or whatever the hell that means. So they chose a career that they have absolutely no control over. They don't know when they're going to work. They don't. So then they're super OCD and other weird things like mm-hmm. cleaning their car, you know, like that, cause that they have control over. It has to be clean and has to be perfect. And, you know, totally. I have to go to the gym 18 times a day because you can control that. So, uh, and men are fed this weird stereotype too that they have to do that, and that's not that's not really true. I think there's masculine, feminine traits in everybody. I, if you even want to call them that, you know, um, and and it's not about it's just about finding somebody that balances you uh, and brings in things right. that you don't or and that you can. Yeah. So if the woman wants to work more and the guy is better at other stuff, then what's that doesn't make him less manly. It just means he he likes other things, and that works well. And the same for the woman too. And that's not a judgment on a woman who doesn't want to work either. I'm like, well, if you like staying at home and you're, that's where you feel like you excel in, then that's right. great. Especially if you found a partner who excels in going out and finding finance. Yeah. It's just finding the, the other person to your partnership if you want to be in one. Yeah, definitely. That is something that like, I had this epiphany. I remember when I was 16 and I was passing my little brother in the hallway. Like, I think I'd just finished brushing my teeth and he was going in the bathroom to brush his. And all of a sudden I like looked at him at the corner of my eye and I was like, oh my God, someone's going to expect you to like provide for them someday. That's insane. Like as a woman, I always know that if the shit hits the fan financially, I could find a man who will take care of me. Like I know that sounds awful, but it's something that I know like may not be the man of my dreams, may not be someone I want to be with because I can't imagine wanting to be with somebody who is like, oh, let me just do every, like financially provide for you. Like that would probably weird me out. Mm. But if that were the case, I could do that. For men, it's not the same because it is sort of, it is emasculating from like the way that society treats men if they are not the breadwinner. 
or mm. if they maybe take a few years to figure themselves out. Like men are rarely ever encouraged to like find themselves, but uh, they're people too. Yes, they are people too. Um, yeah, and they, they <laughs> I just, I, I would like to see things just change a little bit and, and I hope that's happening. I mean, we have, you know, we're having a different understanding of so many things in society now. Uh, our minds are opening up to, you know, just different calling people by their preferred names, them, they, you know, what does that even mean? And now we're starting to learn about that stuff. And the human, every human is so much more complicated than just what we've mm-hmm. decided to label <laughs> each other. It's ridiculous, you know? And so I can't wait to get to a point where we're just looking at people for who they are personally. Uh, and who they are is who they, who they are is who they, you know, want to be. That's fine with me. You know, either way is. I just hope that people ease up on stereotypes for everyone. That's all. So at this point in our conversation, we had some technical difficulties and we had to pick up recording a few days later. So, well, I do want to say, obviously, I totally agree. I cannot wait for people to stop stereotyping others as much and maybe someday at all. But anyways, um, so what you're going to hear next is the rest of our conversation recorded a couple days later, where Crystal answers questions from myself, obviously, but then also listener questions. So thanks to everyone who submitted, and sorry for the weird break in the middle of our conversation. So a few more rapid fire questions. First off, did you plan to have a kid and how did you manage that with your career? Um, did I plan to? Yes. Uh, but did that stress me out? Yes. Uh, I think it's really terrifying for women in the business because, you know, if you're going to try to be a parent, it probably means you're out of work for sure of booking anything, you know, depending on how far you show or if you show immediately or whatever, like all these thoughts race through your head. And, you know, the majority of us are so desperate to just book jobs, you know, cause it's so rare that the idea of it taking you out of even auditioning for a year for, for sure. That's what it is in your mind anyways, but I don't suggest waiting. I think, um, just do it because, uh, being a mom made me so much better at everything. Uh, I'm exhausted. I'm a little more harebrained. Things don't always, uh, every dot is not <laughs> done and every T is not crossed always properly, but that was my issues before anyway. So <laughs> I know I just use her use, but the truth is, is like, uh, it made me better. It made me a thousand times more empathetic and understanding to the world. Um, characters that I played, uh, I think it's, there are a few things that are if not almost impossible to emulate if you haven't experienced it. Some people can do it, but it's it's rare in having a child is one of those things. That's beautiful. It's just one of those things that you don't really get until you do it. <laughs> That's whether you're having it biologically, whether you're adopting, whether you're fostering. Once somebody is in your care and solely your care, like yeah, it just changes the whole world. So yeah, and I also shot when I was four months pregnant, five months pregnant, and nine months pregnant. You did what while you were those? At at those points, I, I I shot three of the SSD movies. Really, the Sign Sealed series. Yeah, I, I shot when I was nine months. I was. That's wild. Yeah, I'm just I I don't um I keep keep my kiddo very private. Uh, like I talk about her openly, of course, and I'm very very proud of her. That's not it, but I'm also very protective, and my job is to keep her safe and her privacy safe. Um, that's my number one. So. Awesome. Uh, I just keep writing raps. 
And so then how long did you wait um, until like after you had her to start shooting again and going out there again? Uh, I started shooting four months after I uh, had her and I started auditioning uh, not even two months after. I also went to a, <laughs> uh, a red carpet event 17 days after I had her. Wow. Which was insane. Uh, and I did that because I desperately wanted to prove something to who I have no idea, probably just myself. Uh, but I was terrified, you know, that they were going to not, there's so much pressure on us to, uh, because our physical bodies are so much part of our, you know, what we do for a living that, you know, there was if in my own mind, I had created Hallmark in no way, you know, had pushed me to come to this event at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like determined to go to this event, show them that I could shoot again and I was fine. Don't count me out. Put me in, you know, cause I'm that type of person. So yeah, 17 days after, uh, I can send you the photo of the red carpet event that I went to. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. That's amazing. Crazy. Please. Yeah. Please do send it. So is it, I don't know. In hindsight, I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, no, that was ridiculous. But you know, once I'm determined to do something, I'm doing it. Yeah, I so. can be the same way. And then, uh, in fact, one of my good friends who also submitted a question for you, she one time was like, Lene, just because you said you were going to do something doesn't mean you can't change your mind. Like, it's I respect right. that you keep your word, but there comes a point where, like, it's just not healthy for you to be stretching yourself that thin and, like, putting other people's yeah. priorities and what people may think or whatever above your own wellness. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you're right. If people can't be somewhat understanding on occasion or like whatever, if my worst fears come true, then they're going to come true because none of those fears are me dying. It's just like, yeah, you know, lack of respect or like hurting someone's feelings or whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So in fact, we'll just jump to her question. And she did. So this is from Margot Brooke, who was also on this podcast and she modeled for a long time and still models and then started acting in the last couple of years mm-hmm. and has booked some parts. Um, and she did preface this with like, this is going to sound harsh, but I don't mean it this way. It's a real question. <laughs> so praise okay. yourself. She was like, I hope Crystal doesn't hate I me. <laughs> I won't. So here was the question. She said, there's this saying, those who can't do teach, but I've noticed a lot of acting teachers still work. How do you feel about that saying? And how do you feel about t- balancing teaching and acting? Would you ever give up teaching altogether if your career got busy enough? What's her name again? Margot. First Brooke. of all, Margot, how dare you? How <sighs> dare you? What are you trying to say? No, I'm just joking. Uh, no, you know, that that's a, that's a funny thing because you know, I don't want to say that there's truth to it because I don't know that there necessarily is. Um, I just, I really love teaching. Like I like it. Uh, I don't know if I would stop, even if I, if I was still, uh, if I was booked another, the only reason I would stop teaching is if I was so busy, I could not ever have the time. And even then I would find time to coach people. Yeah. Like I like it, you know, I really do. I mean, even when I'm on, even when I'm filming, I was still, you know, people could, you can Skype in with me and I'll coach you for something. There is something um, for me that I love the feeling of somebody else um, coming into themselves. It makes me so happy to watch people um, grow, like really. And if I can have like a slight hand in that, even a tiny drop, uh, oh my God, that's the best feeling in the world. So I, you know, I don't think that I would stop. And to be honest, 
I still study. I'm still a student. So um, I, I look at it all as one. It, it is um, teaching acting has also been an incredible um, thing for me because I've learned so much. Uh, from my students and from teaching, you know, when I'm, uh, now that I'm starting, you know, trying to go through the improv track just to learn that craft, uh, you know, I started teaching it and implementing it in my own classes. And in doing that, I then understood what the teacher was saying to me and why, because I was teaching it. So even though yeah. I was like, what? And then I'd say it out loud and go, oh, I understand why we're doing this. We're doing this game because people aren't listening or we're doing this game so that you can use action instead of um, just dialogue. Oh, I get it. Like, so it, it actually teaching helps me become better. Yeah. That really shows up in your teaching too, to be honest with you. Like as someone who has been a student of yours, it really shows that you love being there and you truly do care a lot about all mm -hmm. of your students. Mm -hmm. Like you treat us all very individually and you really do see people and it it definitely shows like I have never once felt like you were just sort of like phoning it in or just there to like supplement your income or anything right. like that. Like I have always gotten the sense that you really do care and like that's something you would just do for people that you care about. I Yeah, I would. You know, I, I really, you know, I've always been a mentor in, in like Vancouver Women in Films mentorship program, my mentor. I, I really believe in um, helping other people, uh, because that it's just a circle, you know, like we all learn from each other. We all have to be, I don't care what level you're at as an actor, you should still be learning, um, and studying. And if you're not, when you're on set, it's, um, helpful because you're constantly working, but it's a muscle, you know? And if you, if you put that muscle away, it's like, if you go to the gym, you stop working out, it's like, Oh, I remember this, but it takes so much longer to get back into it. Um, whereas mm -hmm. for me, I constantly want to sharpen my tools and I want other people to do the same. And I really, um, I can't tell you how wonderful it is. Like when my, when my peeps are booking or, uh, or just seeing like a, a small realization of something or that they walk out of there feeling a little bit more confident than they did. That's, it is almost as good as me booking as when they book. Yeah. I love that. That makes me so happy. So the next question is from Mary Beth Rodzinski on Twitter. Yes. And this one I saved for second because it's a good like middle of the sandwich question. Wow. So she wrote three light questions. Mm -hmm. First off, is Crystal a coffee or tea drinker? Coffee and black, black coffee. Really? Usually an Americano actually. That's okay. So usually black coffee if that's the option, but otherwise I'll have an Americano with a shot of caramel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's how I roll. And then she also asked, what genre of books does Crystal prefer to read? Well, that's a good question. It, it really varies. Uh, Wally Lamb, for a long time, was like my favorite author. Um, I really enjoyed his books. But it's really, it goes all over the place. Right now, I'm reading about script writing. I mean, that's pretty much all I want to read right now, is script writing books um, and character development and because I'm, I'm actively, you know, writing and trying to get better and I can't really do classes in that right now. So I'm teaching myself everything as much as I can. So those books are what I'm doing right now. Nice. Anything specific? Yeah. Sid Field screenplay. Everybody should read that. Perfect. It really breaks things down. Yeah. The next question, because we are in the midst of the COVID-19 ordeal right now, is she asked, if Crystal could go to a restaurant right now, what cuisine would she choose? Oh, Chinese food. Like, 
no hands down dim sum chassis valves and um whatever i could eat that would remind me of my chinese grandma cooking for me uh i there's it's really weird i have this uh <laughs> whenever i feel stressed or sad i would go into like a chinese um noodle house where they're all yelling and screaming at each other and i would feel so warm and like home <laughs> like, yeah oh. i'm i'm the same with colombian food Oh yeah. You know, there's a feeling of like, everybody's like yelling. This feels so familiar. Um, yeah, I would, yeah. I, I would really want to, uh, support my Chinese peeps too, because you know, they're, they're suffering through a lot of other crap. Never mind the COVID. They're also dealing with a lot of racism and they're dealing with a lot of people not really understanding, uh, that this wasn't their fault. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, which is wild to me. I know that like people don't get that. That has actually been heavy on my mind. It's like I think for the first couple months after this, when we're allowed to go out again, I'm probably only going to go to Asian restaurants because certainly yeah. the Americans that are being racist about this whole thing uh, don't see the difference. <laughs> so really, all Asian like restaurants mm -hmm. and establishments are suffering, yeah. and like people as a whole. Yep. So none of that anymore. And also dim sum is like my favorite thing to eat all the time. I, I love eating. And for those of you who don't know what dim sum is, it's like a, it's what you go, it's kind of what we have for our lunch. And so it's like when you go and they either would be pushing carts back in the day or you would pick whichever thing you wanted off the cart. Or when that kind of got rolled out, then you would order it and they would bring it into you and bring it to your table. So it was like the barbecue pork buns and, um, Hagao and siomai and all these other things. I love that. Yeah, I've been to China a few times, and uh, I will say that the food actually in Wuhan was like my favorite. Um, just like the street food there was amazing. Oh, you've actually been to yeah. Wuhan? Yeah, I was there for like two weeks for work. Wow. So this must be fascinating yeah. for you. It is definitely. And I made some friends while I was there. And so I re downloaded WeChat and have been in touch. And actually, I was cast for a series that was supposed to be shooting there like right now. So I'm supposed oh, to have wow. been in China for the past two weeks, but looks like I won't be going until mid May. Yeah. How are they? Have you talked to anybody over there? Um, yeah, I've talked to some of my friends who live there and they're all doing okay. Um, I've only talked to one or two that are in Wuhan because I don't have that many friends there. And then a lot of my friends are outside like Shanghai and Beijing. Mm -hmm. And then one of my friends who goes back and forth a lot because he owns a few like stores and hotels and restaurants, he is basically has to stay in the U.S. for the rest of the year. So he's bummed because usually he spends a month here and a month there. But um, right now he mm -hmm. just can't go back, which is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yes. I'm, I will look forward to when this is done. My is in Hong Kong. Um, and I have a lot of fear around my grandma, my mama, because she's like, you know, in her 80s. But she does wear shirts that say savage on them. So I think deep down she knows that <laughs> she's tough. She pretends like she doesn't speak English, but she does. She <laughs> lives in Canada for like half of that time. So um, she always buys these shirts and goes, I don't know what they mean. And they're like, they'll say savage like all these <laughs> random hilarious sayings she's cool our uh, um i say our because you know my cousin laura but uh our great grandma when so she's colombian and when she came to this country she knew exactly what she was saying and she would go to the store and try to like like to nordstrom and try to like negotiate the price of sheets 
And when they like wouldn't agree to whatever price she wanted, she would be like, for these shits, this is what you want for these shits. Like just You're like, purpose. you knew. Yeah. My Chinese grandma used to yell, you shut up, shut up, shut up. But she like this, she pretended that's all she could say. She could say more. She knows. She's just smart. That's so funny. She yeah, doesn't want to talk to people. <laughs> Definitely. The last question that was submitted is from Academy Queens on Twitter. Okay. And they said, you're a well-known scream queen between Wrong Turn 2, Black Christmas, Final Destination 3 as the big ones. Did you find yourself pigeonholed in a corner? Yes. For a very long time, I was very stuck doing horror. But that, that being said, I don't want to say stuck because uh, the horror community and fans were some of the best and loyal fans to this day. So um, I'm really blessed to have had those people in my life. I'm an artist still. So when I say yes, I was pigeonholed. I just don't want to be pigeonholed doing anything, yeah. to be honest. I don't want pigeonholed only doing um, rom-coms either. I don't want to be like, I, that's, I would like to transform into characters. It's what I want to do. So uh, it would, if I got stuck in any genre for too long, it would, I would be fighting to get out only because I don't want to paint the same picture. Yeah. I want to, I, my, my biggest thing is, um, I want to be scared every time I go to work. Yeah. You know, that. when I booked Rita on sign sealed, I was terrified. I thought they were <laughs> going to fire me every single day. I really genuinely did. I was waiting to get fired. Um, and I also was like, cause I'd put in the, uh, to the universe, you know, I want something that scares me. And then I got that and was like, Oh God, I should have been more clear. <laughs> Maybe not that, that much. I didn't know what I was asking for. But I had to learn a new skill on the fly. You know, I had to learn how to do a completely different character and just trust that I could do it. And so that taught me so much. That's why I want to keep evolving. I don't want to, I don't want to do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. But I would do another horror film if it came up. If it was good, if the writing was good, um, I would love to do another comedic horror film. I did a comedy horror film called A Little Bit Zombie years ago. And that one was so fun. I would love to do that that was about a guy who, my husband who got he's an hr guy and he got bit by a zombie infected mosquito and he got a little bit zombie but he really didn't want to be so he kept fighting it because he's a really good guy mm -hmm. <laughs> it was it's a very funny concept that was super fun to make that sounds like so much fun like it is yeah that's how fun to like be a part of something that that like you can also be a fan of and like you know and then not be committed to it for forever like you kind of get to jump around and do different things they so yeah. academy queens had three questions yeah. that was no, question number one okay. question number two is is it true you were finalist for Lori in freddy versus jason i not that i know of <laughs> not right. that i know of well that is i, I that. wish i was but uh, i don't know not that i know of. okay and then the last question they had was i'm curious to know what yankee represents oh yankee means um happiness uh, after the sun rises after a drought. That's beautiful. And that's your, that's your like real first name, correct? Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my entire name, well, I have another middle name, but I, I refuse to tell you. Uh, I didn't even ask it, Crystal. My mom gives, I know, I know. My mom gave me four names. Who does that? Uh, <laughs> I did it. I did it for my daughter too. Um, my, my full name is Yan K. Crystal Lowe. My first name is actually Yan K. Uh, and my grandfather got to name me that because you know, at, when I was born, two interracial couples were not, there weren't that many. There was very, I mean, or maybe they were, but they weren't open about it. And it wasn't very wildly accepted either. Yeah. So a Chinese yeah. guy and a Scottish woman, you know, that's a, that's a unique twist. Even now it's still unique. So um, my mom really wanted to like honor my Chinese family. And so she said to them, you know, you pick her. 
her first name. Oh, that's beautiful. So I'm Yan K and my sister is Yan Ying. And what does that mean? I, I don't know. She's going to kill me for that. I don't know. <laughs> but our Chinese Still. family doesn't call us uh, Yan K. They call me K Kate. And so that's like the, the nickname. Nice. I like that. And they call her Yan Ying. K Kate and Yan Ying. Yeah. So. Very nice. Um, and the Chinese people pronounce it Yan K, not Yan K. Oh, my mistake. I'll do better next time. Yeah, rude. <laughs> you should know. <laughs> um, so the last question I ask everybody mm-hmm. is, what is something that you would want to hear a future episode of this podcast about? Oh, gosh. Well, uh, I would like, hmm, I got to think on this one, but I guess after this is all said and done, which I'm sure you're going to do this already, but I would really like to hear um, how being in quarantine made a positive impact with families. Like clearly there's tons of the negative impact. I already know what those are, but I would love to hear people talk about anything positive that came out of it. Anything. Did you know Modern Love is doing a series of that right now? Oh, they are? That's great. Yeah, I loved Modern Love. You definitely listen. It's beautiful. Yeah. There, um, you guys, I don't know if you've seen the video. Look it up. But there's a family that rewrote like the lyrics to Les Mis no, and performed it about being in quarantine. Amazing. It's amazing. Amazing. Go look it up. I think it's a British family on BBC. Hilarious. And like, I was like, that is time well spent. Agreed. I am impressed that four, I think there's four kids in the family and, you know, two adults <laughs> to do this entire song. It's hilarious. I love that. Um, I will definitely look it up. And where would you like people to follow you online? Please follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Real Crystal Love. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Crystal. This was so much fun. <laughs> Thank you. I had a blast. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of BTS Podcast. I had so much fun recording this conversation with Crystal. It was a great time. Thank you for your patience with the sort of split up episode. We had to cut it short and just record a few days later to finish up the last couple questions that I have. I super appreciate everyone who submitted questions. If you would like to submit questions for future guests or submit future guests as options, please do follow BTS the podcast at literally spell out BTS the podcast because BTS podcast was taken on Instagram, Twitter. There is a Facebook group that is hashtag BTS podcast guests and listeners that you can join. Your participation is appreciated and it helps shape this podcast. I can see that people listen to this podcast, but when it's radio silence in terms of communication, sometimes it feels a little lonely, y'all. So please do follow the podcast across social. Feel free to follow me if you feel compelled to. And definitely follow Crystal to see what she's up to. She's great. If you have thought about taking acting classes and you're in LA, I highly recommend Graham Shields Studios. They're really, really great. And I have learned so much and my self-tapes have improved wildly, as has my confidence in acting. And yeah, I can't say enough good things about the classes that Crystal and Graham teach. Music on this podcast is by Benjamin Matherum. Thanks again for listening. 